Hi there, I'm Deb Crow, and I want to welcome you to season four of Imperfect, the heart-centered leadership podcast. This is a podcast where we connect, learn, and laugh together with authentic and courageous leaders from all over the globe. You will learn from leaders you haven't even met yet. You will gain new tools to add to your leadership toolkit because leadership belongs to all of us. It is not measured by stature or title. So please pull up a chair and listen in. This is the Imperfect Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. So welcome back to Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. And I'm delighted today to welcome David Sanborn to the show. And David, I, I haven't even had a chance to tell you, but every season, my my team gives me that gentle push into the land of discomfort. So the changes for this year is that we went video, which was super uncomfortable. But I'm, I'm halfway through the season and I'm, I'm doing okay. But it's it's landed us on YouTube with actual video now, which is a great thing. And the other thing I changed up is I'm not reading bios anymore because it's your story. So tell our listeners a little bit about you and what brought you to the show. Yeah, great. Um, so yeah, a little bit about me. I'll, I'll try and keep it short. I have uh, quite a different background. Uh, went from basically a corporate sales type role right out of college Uh yeah, for about five years, which was a very much uh, business to business. We're selling what is effectively a commodity, but it's a raw material you would you would probably know uh, as as a trade named Kevlar, which many people think of armor immediately or body armor or high performance materials. I worked for the other major manufacturer, um, but the product was always sold out because of wars in Iraq and Afghanistan at the time. So it was very interesting to sell something that people had to have, and it was always sold out. It's very interesting um, opportunity um, and a great start to a career. Uh, but what I really always, uh, even as a kid, uh, thought of becoming an entrepreneur and, and wanted to become one. So um, yes, back uh, over 10 years ago now, um, I, I started my first company, um, consumer products, developing a product, really sort of the inventor out of the garage, started selling out of my garage. I had employees working in my garage, Truly that garage sort of business uh, and scaled it up to uh, over a million dollars in sales. Um, but a very interesting experience because it was very hands-on. I spent a lot of time figuring out manufacturing, product development, sourcing. Um, and I didn't spend as much time figuring out the sales side of it, but I did get into e-commerce early. So it got me into what truly uh, was um, this eye-opening experience of seeing e-commerce from around 2012 uh, to now, obviously the major changes, but really how do you bring a product from idea to a market, right? to a person into their house? Um, and that was a great experience. I pivoted along the way a couple of times. So the, the first product didn't last that long, it only lasted three or four years. Uh, I launched another business in 2016, technically, and I was lucky enough to be able to sell that brand uh, in 2020. So um, exciting to take something full life cycle, right? Idea, food, product to sales to then sell the business and, and, and hang on. Um, you can find that product in retail stores now. So moving, you know, for me, I think as a kid, that idea of walking to a store, how did this product get here? Like that kind of thought mm -hmm. process has always stuck with me. And so exciting to feed again, that full life cycle. And, and then most recently in business, really 
stepping into this, this, what I just, I'm very passionate about this idea of truly understanding a customer, solving their problems with a product, right? And that product has to be developed. And there's many, many steps to take an idea and this problem that you're solving for a customer and move that through to a, you know, a physical product that you develop, that you manufacture, that you end up selling. And I'm doing that with two partners um, that we have this business um, that, uh, and I shouldn't, I should barely even call myself a partner in it because um, I have two partners that, that own factories in China, uh, but also we have full uh, vertically integrated product development through to manufacturing. So we can, we can develop products, uh, we can help with you know, many of the early, early stages like industrial design, uh, mechanical engineering, all the, all the early uh, development phases, but then physically deliver a product out of our factories as well, which is pretty unique in the industry. Um, but it's a huge opportunity. I mean, the if you look at the total addressable market of products that are manufactured overseas, right, and delivered in the United States, it's in the trillions. So it's not even a, the number is so big. Um, but it's a very interesting opportunity because it's also very complex, mm-hmm. particularly you can get a product designed and developed. That's relatively easy to do that here. But to move it to manufacturing and then work through the full supply chain and bring it back, um, that is a more complex process than I think it needs to be. Uh, there's Alibaba out there. There's a lot of these platforms yeah. that sort of help you along the way. But if you ask any entrepreneur, particularly in e-commerce in this space, there's a lot of room. There's a lot of speed bumps, robust, major issues that you'll hit. And usually people have made lots of mistakes before they get it right as they sort of scale their business. So it's really exciting for me to help brands and businesses take ideas and scale them, right, again, back to the consumer and really deliver value to their customers. So. Well, I can see your face light up when when you talk about this. So I congratulate you on your entrepreneurial journey. I'm 33 years into the entrepreneur journey. So, you know, it's keeping that spark and that joy and that innovation and thought leadership going. So kudos to you. Okay, you ready for some leadership questions? I am. Okay, so here's my first question. What method or strategy do you implement and utilize if you're evaluating a new business partner? That is a great question. I might actually answer this very simply, honestly, uh, as, as a business partner. And if you mean a partner as in, you know, an equity partner, a partner in a business that I'm operating with them, just to clarify, actually, on that side. I, what does the question mean to you? And when, and when I say partner, what comes to your mind first? Yeah. So for me, a partner is truly a business that you would say probably there's some sort of joint ownership or some sort of joint operation with. I could expand on that to say that we have clients that we certainly view as partners. Um, and in a lot of ways, we we do jointly benefit from the success of the company. So maybe it's not an equity benefit um, of both parties, but um, actually to, to now, that, now that you've actually helped me kind of clarify it in my head as well, uh, Go back to what I what I said originally is I see it very simply and I, and I see um, trustworthiness. Honestly, is one of the biggest is probably the biggest word that comes to mind. Whether it's a business partner or a client, you know, client service provider partnership as well. Um, and I feel like that's actually a, a good response because it is true in every way. Is that if you have a business partnership or if you have a business partner, somebody that you're going to start a company with, if you can't trust each other, as in the decision-making process, the different things about their personality, it will never work. 
it, it just won't. You'll, you might get started, you might get 10 years in, but the reality is there's always going to be that sort of underlying issue and eventually it will come back to bite you. Absolutely. And the interesting thing is that I think in a client service provider, we'll say relationship, it's very similar. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's the same. I mean, and, and this is what you see actually with, especially outsourced manufacturing. If, if, you, if I said China, the vast majority of people say, ooh, product made in China and it, at least Americans now. And, you know, I kind of grin when I, I hear that because for two reasons. One, I know it's not, a, it's not an unfounded concern that they have kind of in their head. On the second, on the other side of it, I know that we can do better than that concern that they have. We do a lot better. But, and then maybe the last aspect is the fact that people don't realize it, but almost everything that is conceived in the United States is in some way, shape or form, mm. develop, I mean, there is a part of it that comes from China. It, mm-hmm. And, I, and you know, especially when you look at metals, electronics, it's, it's interesting that I have conversations with very, you know, successful entrepreneurs, successful companies, and they say, oh, we just want to get this product. We're just going to make it someplace outside of China. And I kind of laugh because I, to, to say, well, sure, you can mm-hmm. physically assemble it someplace else out of China, right? But there's mm-hmm. 10 parts out of 20 that are going to come from China no matter what. Um, and so, it, you know, a, a lot of times companies are thinking that from a sort of trustworthy, they might think of it from a tariff point of view as well, but tariffs are obviously a, a big uh, concern yeah. these days with physical products. But, um, you know, that trustworthiness still comes back to how do you really develop a relationship that's based mm-hmm. on trust and trust mm-hmm. each other and know that you trust each other through the ups and downs? Because it's always going to be uh, a business partnership is like a, people say it's like a marriage. Yeah. I don't know if we'll say it exactly like that, but... Um, yeah, I mean, and the same thing for, uh, it, it's especially in sort of the manufacturing client service provider relationship, I'll say, um, it is a marriage, right? There's a commitment there that you can't just up and change mm-hmm. overnight. Uh, it's, it's really difficult to sort of break up, right? So that, that idea, um, that the trust is always there and it's, uh, it's, it's that simple. It is, it is that simple. And it, it's, uh, it's in it's intertwined with rapport and you need both and you have to make sure it's not broken and it's got a deep level of commitment just like a marriage well said okay my second question has permanent residency on the show i've asked over 260 leaders this question what imperfections does david bring to his heart-centered leadership that is a very good question there's so many. How could I even get started? <laughs> that, that's usually the first comment. And I say it's a 30-minute show. So pick your top one and and candor and humor is allowed. Yeah. Uh, you know, pick my top, my top. Only one. I pick. Okay. Um for me, for me personally, I, I think as an entrepreneur. This might, well, maybe I know a lot of entrepreneurs now uh, through networking. And it's funny that we have very similar, very similar, a lot of things that are very similar, honestly. Um, and I think like passion that you bring to a, a business or a product, that's certainly one of them. Um, but particularly as an entrepreneur, there's like this, there's this pursuit of perfection that is really good. It, it helps you in a lot of ways. Um, it can help you obviously create great things and maybe consistently question your kind of thought process. So like, 
how do I actually get better? Not kind of you're like, you're never settling on perfection, right? You're always trying to achieve perfection. But at the same time, it can be difficult for others, right? You can say, mm-hmm. you can get passionate and say, this is just not what I expected it to be, right? And that, that works for some people, but it doesn't work for most people as employees of the company um, or partners, right? Um, there, so you have to learn to sort of balance that pursuit of perfection and that kind of passion for it with the ability to understand and have empathy and, and understand that also the perfection, the pursuit of perfection is actually a terrible business goal, right? There's the sort of the 80, 20 rule is that, you, you know, 80% of your results are going to come from a very, like almost, I won't say it the right way. And, and honestly, I don't think everything falls into sort of the, the general 80, 20 rule, but you understand what I mean, that, that the pursuit of perfection usually doesn't get you that much further than all the, the initial work that you do. Um, and, and so it's, it's, it's also a struggle, I guess you'd say, to kind of temper yourself or to, to be, remain cognizant that um, uh, the last thing I'll say from a, from a business point of view, I've heard this piece of advice from multiple uh, people, but as a leader in a company or as an owner of a company particularly said that no one's going to care about it as much as you do. And that's true. And it's not, I mean, it's not, it's, it's definitely, I would say true, but um, there are a lot of people that care a lot and you can't, you can't um, expect them, I would say, to understand sort of like your extra attachment. And with that, you have to be able to communicate um, and again, temper your own feelings uh, and, and, uh, and, um, you know, for me, I'll say that it's an imperfection, right? It's, it's something that you have to realize that, that, that uh, you care so much that you have to communicate um, and, and work with others that, uh, you know, are not, um, are, they just don't, they're not necessarily motivated by that same pursuit of perfection, right? They have a job to get done. I need you to t- explain that to them and, and work with it. So, so I, I'm, I'm inviting you into the land of imperfection today yeah. because perfection is an intangible reality that we chase and imperfection is where it's at. It, it provides so many learning opportunities. Entrepreneurs, we get knocked down, we get back up with the ability to fail forward. It's, it's a beautiful thing, but I, I loved your answer. Okay, my third question is, Share with us one common obstacle that you are observing right now in your specific industry and how do you overcome it? Great question. Yeah, so I think I kind of hit on this as we were talking early um, and kind of talking about my background specifically of when you look at, when you look at the idea of bringing a product to market, let's just put it like very, very plain you'll overcome, you have to overcome multiple challenges along the way. Usually the early work of particularly like customer discovery, right? You can, you should do a lot of that yourself. And this is, we talk to clients all the time and they say, I have an idea. And it's like, well, you need to tell us what the specification is. You need to explain it to us. Um, But early on, a lot of times um, clients don't really understand. Some don't really understand the very early stages of, product development, product customer discovery is what a big term I tell people all the time is if you're not out talking to your customers or your potential customers and understanding what this product needs to be um, for a company like ours that truly we, we say product development, 
but we don't take a step really before that to look at customer discovery. That's a very expensive and time-consuming process at times. It can take companies years to really mm-hmm. talk to customers, understand, do surveys. Um, and what I would say is, uh, to, to actually directly answer your question is, to, to move through this process, there's a lot of things you're going to have to overcome. And that was that's sort of my one of my bigger ones, um, is really understanding the product that you want to develop. And as you do that, then... I will say finding the right partners to bring in because I would say no entrepreneur. And if you do it this way, you probably do it wrong. If you say, well, I'm going to do customer discovery. I'm going to make the product and I'm going to, it's not scalable. I guess is what I should say. If you're going to do all the steps yourself, it's, it's impossible to scale because you only have so much time in a day. I made that mistake with my first company, having a manufacturing operation, trying to do it e-commerce, you know, selling to consumers and shipping packages. It's just, there's too much there. So you're going to find partners along the way. And again, there's going to be a lot of challenges, but fi- so finding the right partners is the most important thing you can do. And um, I would say in our industry, it's actually really easy to find product design, product development, engineering. There's a lot of freelancers now. There's tons of websites where you can find a freelancer. You can find an agency. Mm-hmm. You can find uh, you know industrial designers and, and all of these different comp- like people to bring in what you'll find is that, oh, is that you're also, at the same time, you're spending, if you do, or if you outsource to individual components, you're going to spend a lot of time managing all of those individual pieces. Um, and so I will say, um, and, it's, and it's the fact, like, this is what I actually think is potentially this sort of longer, it's this longer term solution to this idea of, or this sort of fragmented development, manufacturing, supply chain problem that we have today is that bringing those things together is actually extremely valuable. And it's, it's, it's very hard to find the right companies. You might not bring all of it together, but you still have to find, if you can't find one, you're going to find a few partners, right? That you really have to um, trust, right? That you really have to rely on to bring your product to life, right? To, to, to take it from idea all the way through uh, to someone's doorstep, right? Um, and, and yeah, so, so I'd say finding the right partners is the biggest hurdle that you'll jump, that you'll have to, to, to jump over. And I'm sorry, did you ask me for what the solution is? <laughs> no, the, I just wanted to know, I wanted to ask you what the number one kind of observation was, and then what strategy do you use to overcome it? Yeah. So from a strategy point of view, I will, and I, I, I like to answer certain questions in generalities and then get very specific in other areas that every product is different. It depends mm-hmm. on what type of product you're working on. You know, I meet entrepreneurs that are working on foods. The, the company that I sold was actually was consumable pet product, right? So very different process mm-hmm. than, for instance, a consumer electronic product or um, uh, a clothing textile product. So... Um, there's a lot of similarities in the way that you work through this. Um, and the strategy overall um, is somewhat similar, but there's actually some pretty distinct differences. So I want to make sure that I kind of distill this down of overall strategies. Um, to be honest, that when I, I said finding the right partners, to me, there's a few easier ways to do that. Um, you know, specifically, you could say, like, for instance, let's say that you're, you're early in development, you're looking for, you know, an engineer or um, there's probably going to be budget constraints, right? In, in the sense that you're working on, if, you, if you're a big company, you have a big budget, you might just bring on an agency that can do a product development, com- a 
development firm um, or an agency that even ties in a lot of customer discovery kind of through to this early initial product development design. To me, I still use referrals. I look at referrals as we all think Amazon, let's go find product reviews and say like, you know, which one is the best rated? I mean, if you look at shop, right, they, they literally search, stop price first. It's actually reviews first, then price. And I, and I think a lot of services, um, you're looking for that. How do I find the reviews? Um, if you went to find uh, uh, a manufacturer, like Alibaba even has reviews now, right? To just mm -hmm. find a manufacturer. But for design firms, you don't get that. Mm -hmm. There's no Yelp for design firms. There's no, there is some, you know, if you use a contractor platform like Upwork, you can see some reviews. Yeah. Um, and I think that's great if you're going with an individual. Uh, but I do think a referral is, is very important. Uh, and kind of take that one step further is, is who, like their reputation, who they already worked with. That's an important, definitely an important aspect there. Because I, I do think a company that's, that's worked with other successes can give you more confidence than sort of an upstart that's relatively unknown. Like you might, it might take some time, right? Finding the right partner. Um, and that has to do with, again, across kind of any industry, right? Is, is yeah. can you get some sort of referral? Can you see their reputation out there in the market uh, or in, uh, in their uh, business area? Um, and then uh, let's see here, uh, the next step, kind of along that way of, of strategy is if you take that one step further, I think manuf I mean, manufacturers are very similar to kind of the way I said from a service provider at the early stage. Um, from a manufacturing point of view, a lot of people do think um, Alibaba, or they might think, um, you know, Google, like just mm -hmm. XYZ manufacturing. If you're making food, you can say, I don't know, baby food co-manufacturer or, uh, you know, breakfast bar co-manufacturer or cake mix, right? You can type in these things and find manufacturers um, online, but you're still looking for that. Where do you find Where do you find more about the reputation? How do you know mm -hmm. who they worked with? Um, do they seem reputable, right? And trustworthy, uh, they kind yeah, of all bring it all back together. Things. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then, um, yeah, I mean, and, and, yeah, well, I guess, and I would kind of apply it each step uh, along the way. Um, but you have to be very intentional, I think, to go out and look and figure out what you need, right? What you need to really outsource. And usually for a company, like you're looking to the areas that you're not going to have any kind of strength, right? If you already have a manufacturing facility, of course, you kind of skip that. You know, you're going to do it in-house, but then you look, you know, to design development, maybe on to the fulfillment supply, like the later supply chain side. But um yeah, that's uh It's like a CEO, you know, surrounding himself with an executive team with the skill sets uh within each specific area that he doesn't have and and needs to have to liaise with and make decisions and delegate. So, uh very similar model. Okay, my last leadership question. I'm putting you on the spot here. If I have you think back to when you were a young boy, let's go all the way back to kindergarten to today, share with us the one word that is your most transferable skill set that shows up every day in your leadership today. We went back to the kindergarten version of David and think about all that David's endured in life and leadership and school and work experience. What's the one transferable skill that you still hold, hold dear in your heart and it shows up in your value system, your leadership? Yeah, that's a, I mean, Actually, for me, it's really easy. It's learning or the ability to learn. It's it's lifelong really learner. That simple. I mean, any I love it. No matter what you do, whether it's 
relationships with other people. You're, you have a lot of imperfections, right? You have a lot of baggage that you've come, you know, you've brought with you, whether it was a bad boss that taught you how to act a certain way, mm -hmm. or, you know, it was uh, a childhood, you know, trauma that you, that you're, you're still, uh, you know, that causes you to be more emotional or to be whatever it might be. Right. Um, I, and I say learning because it's, it's, it really is as simple as always thinking about kind of that back to that perfection thing. You're thinking about ways to improve yourself as well. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that to me is learning still, right? Like Absolutely. whether it is to read a book, to listen to a podcast, to, um, yeah. And, and anytime that I've made bad decisions or you, or I feel like I got in over my head into something, I, I stopped and I think somehow I skipped that point where I met, I should have learned something first. Mm -hmm. And it's not that you need to go slow. Like you don't need to uh, slow yourself down always. Right. Mm -hmm. But you, I, 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 talk, I, 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 I like, I love cooking and recipes to me are this very interesting, right? Like there's no point in reinventing the wheel of a recipe, right? Like generally there's idea, like there's a good way to make bread. Right. But for me, because I'm, I'm, I kind of flip that. I say, well, what can I learn as well? So this is like, mm. I look up the recipe to learn how to bake bread, but then I take, and I kind of do my own twist on it. Right. You make, you make David's and version. Exactly. And, it's, and it. my wife will look at me like I'm crazy because it's like, no, that's one scoop of flour and you just did like one and a quarter. And yeah. that totally doesn't work in baking. Sometimes I, oh, I have to admit <laughs> baking is one of those more difficult ones. It's a little bit more precise. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Usually a little bit more precise. But what I really enjoy about that is, is the opportunity to learn how the best ones are made. Right. But then kind of put my own twist on it. And that's, I know love it's it. a simple example, but. Good yeah, example. Learning. I love it. Okay. I'm going to switch to my fab four. These are just four rapid questions. We want to know what's sitting on the top of that brilliant mind of yours. First question, give us a word or phrase that shows up daily in your leadership language. Oh, I mean, from a, from a business leader, especially kind of uh, more on the, from the entrepreneurial point of view, I always come back to like customer, right? It's, we're all like, if you're a leader, at least in business, at the end of the day, everything you're doing is meant to be about the customer. It doesn't matter what type of product it is, right? It's, it's, you're doing something for someone else and you will make money if you do it the right way, right? And if you do it the wrong way, you might make money up front, but you don't over the long term because at the end of the day, it's still about your customer and, Absolutely. and that's everything. It's, uh, it's so simple. That's it's actually one. really simple. Boom. Okay. Name a book that you've read at any juncture in your life. And tell us the author and what was kind of life-changing for you. Oh, man. Uh, I'm gonna, you're going to kill me because I don't know. I, don't, I can't remember the author. That's off okay. The top of my What's head the right name now. of the book? I'll say the lean, the lean Startup is, is a great book, especially okay. for anybody that's... Actually, for anybody that's in business, period, it's actually kind of amazing to me that companies, you have these huge companies that could make take so many missteps in creating a product, creating a service, launching it, and realize that nobody cares. Nobody wants it. And I think that mentality of learning, that's Lean Startup is very much that uh, it's telling you as a business how to think about your learning, teaching you how to do it. And it doesn't matter how big you are, how small you are, if you're starting at zero or you're already a $20 billion business, if you don't think the way that I would say that that book kind of teaches you to think um, or to, to go about um, creating a business, creating a new product, all those different things. 
then you're just really missing out. And honestly, that's the one book that I didn't read when I first became an entrepreneur. I did not read it. Probably took me six years. It took me six years to actually read it. Um, past but that you day. read and, it. And, so you're and you look back and you say, wow, I missed a lot actually early on. Yeah. So who is the author? Um, well, I will look it up. Not those, to worry. I, People will Google it. Reese? It's where we're, yeah, it's yeah. one that hasn't been on the show. Okay. My next question, I got to give you some context. I'm granting you a wish and you get to have dinner with a leader that you would love to meet. Now this leader maybe has passed away or they're, they're alive today. Who are you having dinner with and what is the dinner conversation? Wow, I have never thought about a question like this. This is a this is a good challenge. God, there's so many interesting people. Who's, you the, first, who's, a, the, who's the first one that comes to your mind? I'll have to admit, like Abraham Lincoln probably yeah, comes to and, mind. And you know what? He has shown up on the show many times. What's the dinner conversation? What's the intrigue? I mean, maybe overcoming challenges. Like mm-hmm. if you imagine a person or a leader that's been put in a position to like, how do I deal with this? Like, how do we, how do I think about this? I think there's an interesting set of challenges there. Um, that, you know, Abraham Lincoln specifically, even you went back to uh, like the Revolutionary Wars, there's multiple leaders, uh, but George Washington as well, where you're, you're also making decisions about people's lives, which that, I can't imagine that, you know, that would be an, an interesting struggle. I, I guess on that side, I would say I would I would never ask somebody how that was. But in this case, if it was, you know, you took all the emotions out of it and you could really understand a little bit more. I think there's a lot to understand about that type of leadership position. And, and Absolutely. What, um, yeah. yeah. Okay. My last question is I'm going to have you finish a sentence for me. Heart-centered leadership is? is the ability and willingness to understand the people that you work with and also question or challenge yourself uh, to be better as a leader continuously. Thanks so much for joining me today on Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed the show today and have learned some new tools for your leadership toolkit from our amazing Heart-Centered guest. If you like the show, feel free to give us a rating and a review, and we always welcome your feedback anytime. If you're ready to master the art of heart, my new book, The Heart-Centered Leadership Playbook, is now available on Amazon, or you can click the link below in our description.